people who create, whether it's art or food or events, people that make something out of nothing or, or make something out of something else, that is what builds the culture of a city. And I think if we don't support that, then we very quickly become a place where it's easy to just stay at home and watch Netflix, you know, mm -hmm. or consume mass culture. And so supporting local filmmakers, supporting local artists, supporting local musicians for us, you know, that that's, what's going to make us stand out and make us unique as mm -hmm. a city. Mm -hmm. So I think big picture aspirationally, if, if we don't have that, then who really are we? Today's guest on the Gravity Podcast is Walker Evans. Walker and his business partner and wife, Anne, are the co-founders of Columbus Underground and have really turned local media into a full-time career over the past decade. In addition to serving on boards and having a family and being on committees and super active in the community, Walker is just a, a great guy with a a really big heart and full of uh, good intentions that have actually materialized and you know an important voice in this community here in Columbus and proof on how uh, media can be done differently in today's age it's refreshing and uh, yeah I'm a big fan of walkers and I hope you enjoy getting to know them and I hope you enjoy the podcast as much as I did So we're here on the Gravity Podcast with Walker Evans. Walker, thanks for joining me. Thanks for asking me to be here. Yeah, I was just saying, you know, we, we kind of hopped right in and yeah, yeah. Um, talking, you know, Columbus real estate and Tuttle and Underground and, you know, April Fool's. Pickleball. Um, pickleball, right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's what, you know, sparked my desire to have you on the podcast because I'm just thinking like, you know, we've traded back and forth through social media, through your mm -hmm. work and mine. And you have such a perspective, you know, you've, you've been in it, like investigating, doing reporting, like, you know, and also, you know, what I think is really interesting about underground and you and what you've done is the way you've come about it. You mm -hmm. know, it's, it was not traditional media. It was a voice is a voice that I think fills a void in the city, you know, that's relatable, that people mm -hmm. like, you know, it's, 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 it's a very enjoyable voice to get news. Thanks. And, and I think you found that. And, I, you know, what we do here is try to discover how you got to that point, mm -hmm. you know, what led you into this work and your, your life journey to it. But yeah, it just thought, boy, you know, we could probably spend you know, episodes just talking about your perspective, <laughs> you know, historically on the city, where we've come from, where we are, yeah. you know, where we're going, you know, there's a lot, lot there that I'm sure you've got a, a great perspective on. Yeah. And we'll, we'll cram it all down into 10 minutes today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, thanks. Thanks again for having me. And, you know, I should also start off and preface say, you know, it's me and my wife run the business together. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. she puts just as much into it as I do. Although I often get just seen as like the, the face of it because yeah. I've, been, I've been doing it for so long but yeah the city is always changing and we we try to be positive and future focused on where the city is going not to shy away from the problems you know that the city faces but focusing more on solutions and how to address things and how we get to where we're going versus just sort of spinning in circles complaining about things every day because mm -hmm. that's easy to do you mm -hmm. know and I think we all kind of got into that like doom loop of uh, during COVID where we're all doom scrolling and mm -hmm. sweating, you know, the world and the world's full of problems. But 
we try to be we try to be positive as yeah. much as we can. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm glad you mentioned that because I really see you doing that. It's not just in the reporting. I see you engage in the comments, you know, when people start to pile on, you'll mm -hmm. sort of try to level set at least like with facts. You know? try my best. <laughs> yeah. And 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 usually, you know, try to put, you know, a positive not spin on it, but like perspective, like trying to keep it positive. Because yeah. boy, you know, being on the development side, especially, you know, in the comments, you know, anonymously, people can get pretty nasty pretty fast and have really strong opinions that often aren't based in, in much fact. Yeah. I mean, that was the great promise of the internet, right? Is that everyone can share their opinion. And the downside of that is everyone can share their opinion, right. you know, no matter what it is or how informed it may be or may not be. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, as you, you dig into any topic, whether it's development or transportation or the arts or restaurants and food or the mm -hmm. theater, mm -hmm. really quickly learn that there's always more to the story. So whatever, you know, easy narrative might be isn't always the truth. Mm -hmm. And so I always try to jump in and provide additional context. If someone sees something and they kind of take it as face value, I try to say, well, take this into mind this into consideration like we're all humans too you know so mm -hmm. if a new if a, if a restaurant closes people always want to find like one reason why it closed mm -hmm. and it's like maybe their family had health issues maybe mm -hmm. they were paying too much in rent mm -hmm. maybe you know all these different things kind of combined and just don't look for like the easy answer because it's usually wrong yeah yeah well let's back up and kind of unpack how you got to the work that you're doing and you know i'm, I'm curious here about even why you Take the approach that you take but i'd love to just kind of start at the beginning I, you know one of the things that i've enjoyed about the podcast is oftentimes especially people that are in the public mm -hmm. people only know in a certain way right and they might not really know yeah. you and and certainly how you got to the work that you're doing it's it's oftentimes i think sometimes pretty discouraging for people because they just see you as like so far from where they're at and sure, you know, yeah. and and really, in reality, you guessing without even knowing, you've taken a path that you know had you somewhere, you know, far from where you are today. Mm -hmm. And so it can be done. And you know, I'd love to just kind of back up to the beginning and hear a little bit about you know your early days and kind of where you're from and and your your family dynamics. Sure. Yeah, I grew up in Marysville, so I've been in Central Ohio since I was like four years old. So I do have childhood memories of going, you know, to Lazarus for Christmas and city center and, you know, downtown Columbus and really didn't pay too much attention to the city until, you know, later college years. But in, you know, I, I grew up a computer nerd, you know, and, and, and looking back on it now, you know, the, the things that you like, you don't realize along the way is that I always love playing SimCity, like mm -hmm. SimCity type games. And mm -hmm. so I don't know why I didn't go into like urban planning mm -hmm. of any kind of type, but mm -hmm. It's one of those things that like definitely have a passion behind, you know, how street grids are designed mm -hmm. and development patterns and transportation systems and walkable, walkable neighborhoods and things like that. Mm -hmm. But just grew up being a computer nerd, building websites, like early HTML programming kind of stuff, Photoshop, found a program at Columbus State in 2000, in the year 2000, that kind of focused on that sort of stuff. It was a relatively new program back then. Mm -hmm. You couldn't really go to OSU for a degree in HTML mm -hmm. <laughs> in the year 2000. Yeah. You couldn't really do it in, uh, in real estate or city planning either. Yeah. 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 So it, yeah. it's, it's wild, like how quickly things change, you yeah. know, in, in those rapidly emerging industries. Yeah. But 
yeah, did a lot of freelance work in the early days, worked, you know, different kind of graphic design, web design jobs at that point. But in 2001, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and I decided to start Columbus Underground as sort of a repository for local information. Because if you back up to the year 2000, 2001, the internet didn't really have a lot of local information online. Mm -hmm. There was no MySpace, let alone Facebook. Mm -hmm. There was no Yelp. There was no... You know, if, if you wanted to find the hours to a restaurant, the restaurant might not have a website. You might find some sort of like Yahoo page with information mm -hmm. that was six months old. You had to basically go to a coffee shop and either get Columbus Alive or the other paper or mm -hmm. look for a flyer mm -hmm. to find out like what bands were playing where and that kind of information. So mm -hmm. just being a computer nerd, we're like, why don't we just make a space online to share this sort of stuff? We, we were 21 years old, so it was a lot of, you know, bars, restaurants, music, mm -hmm. movies, yeah, let me entertainment. Kind of back up a little bit. So tech was really the thing that caught your attention you know yeah. as a kid it wasn't so much journalism or writing or reporting or yeah. investigative i mean it was it was more the tech that sort of led you into the space yeah and i would say like the creative side of tech okay like i was never like a super programmer you mm -hmm. know I, I loved video games but never really had a desire to like build a video game from scratch mm -hmm. but with like early web, you know javascript and html and css and and some of those things you could do really pulled me in. So I was, I was building websites for fun when I was like 15 before, you know, you used your phone for the internet. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's interesting creative piece because, you know, I think there's a tremendous amount. I mean, as we were talking about, you know, just even the April fool stuff, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. right? Like the idea that you wanted to create something mm -hmm. was it, was it that you were interested in creating something that you wanted for yourself or did you see an opportunity? I mean, why did you decide that? I mean, I know it wasn't existing and you're right. It's funny to think back and I'm yeah, sure, you know, yeah. people that didn't know at those times, like the other paper, yeah. right? Like flyers. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it feels like, you know, like, boy, we've come so far into the future when you think about how we used to do things, yeah, you know? Yeah. In fact, my son was asking me about like the phone book. You know, right. Yeah. Right. Like that was like a thing. Well, know? I was about to say, and I don't know if this is too old school of reference, but even before building websites, there were bulletin board systems, BBSs, mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. know if that mm -hmm. rings a bell or mm -hmm. not, with old dial-up modems and stuff yeah. like that. And yeah. so in Marysville, there were a couple of those. And as soon as I figured out like, oh, you can get the software, you can build your own and mm -hmm. these like ASCII art editors and stuff. So when I was like 12 or 13, I had set up a, a BBS mm -hmm. system, like in my parents' basement. Mm -hmm. and my mom would get mad if I'm using the phone line too long for the, <laughs> for the modem to connect sort of stuff yeah, so yeah i just i thought it was cool that there were these sort of like sandboxes to play in yeah and like you got the building blocks and you could make something out of it yeah, yeah. sort of your own sim city you were building yeah, you were yeah making yeah. you're creating yeah and so you decide to kind of start this this is your your first business i yeah. mean your first you know real attempt into the business world well and, and at the beginning it wasn't ever intended to be a business it was just a fun little side project for us to do just to share information and find things, you know, to, to share with friends. And yeah. along the way, after a couple of years, we started to get approached by people who wanted to run some advertising and it's like, oh, well, I can throw an ad network on this. And mm -hmm. if it pays the bills, great. You know, if not, no big deal. And it just kind of like any sort of entrepreneurial endeavor, you kind of just throw everything in the wall, see what sticks and see mm -hmm. where it goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, what was sticking, you know, what was it that people really were gravitating to? Uh, people wanted to find out things to do. That's always been a big, a big part of it. You know, they want to find, you know, interesting niche, you know, uh, events 
around town. They want to mm-hmm. find the cool restaurant that nobody else knows about, that, that sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. as we started to sort of fall more in love with the city and find out like what interesting things were going on in what neighborhoods, and this was like 2004, 2005-ish, we started to really get more into like, oh, there's new development happening over here. Mm-hmm. Oh, this the street is being redesigned. Mm-hmm. Oh, this, this neighborhood is meeting to talk about what kind of bike lanes they want, you know, or public art projects. We started to really get into kind of the nuts and bolts of that. And that, that's, that's always been really interesting to our readers, to development, food, events, mm-hmm. you know. But if you want to be a well-rounded city, you have to really push, you know, like local theater, mm-hmm. you know, is always my, one of my go-to examples. You know, we have a great award-winning theater critic, Richard Sanford, who writes about shows at like Mad Lab mm-hmm. and Shadowbox and like some of these things that people don't go to every day, but you need to remind them that those things exist mm-hmm. because, you know, we need to... We need to push the arts. Everyone has to eat every day. Mm-hmm. You don't have to buy a painting every day. You don't have to attend the ballet every day, but it's important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm just kind of curious to hear your perspective to elaborate, you know, why, why is it important? You know, there's this, you know, you're preaching to the choir here. Yeah. I have my own opinions on why, you know, the arts are really important. But, you know, we were talking about things like, you know, state tax payer money and, mm-hmm. you know, real estate bailouts and whatever else, you know, should we be investing more in the arts and why? I'm just curious to hear your perspective about uh, Columbus. Short answer is yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that people who create, whether it's art or food or events, people that make something out of nothing or, or make something out of something else, that is what builds the culture of a city. Mm-hmm. And I think if we don't support that, then we very quickly become a place where it's easy to just stay at home and watch Netflix, you know, mm-hmm. or consume mass culture. And so supporting local filmmakers, supporting local artists, supporting local musicians, supporting, you know, th- those kinds of things for us, you know, that that's what's going to make us stand out and make us unique as mm-hmm. a city. Mm-hmm. So I think big picture aspirationally, if you, if we don't have that, then who really are we? Mm-hmm. But also you live a more enriching life, I think on an individual level, if your experiences have some sort of uh know personal value to them as well Mm -hmm. yeah i think there's also this i've been trying to make the pitch that it's like really modern day economic development not even so modern it's you know kind of recycled from from years past but if you just think about it pretty basically like why would you want to live in a city that didn't have like fun cool things to go do Mm -hmm. you know art is is you know now I don't know, maybe, I don't know. It's, it's, it's part of that, mm-hmm. right? I mean, being entertained, music, mm-hmm. theater, looking at, you know, a mural or a painting, a museum, an opening, a mm-hmm. ca- right? These are like things that we get to do that are enjoyable, right? right? And so don't you want that in a city? And if you're thinking about starting a business or attracting talent, retaining talent, you know, any of those things, where you're gonna live. Don't you wanna live in a place that feels a certain way? You know, obviously that's what we're doing here, but boy, it just seems sort of obvious. Yeah, and I think more and more people are getting it, kind of what you're talking about, that that sort of like indirect benefit. You know, like I might not be someone who goes to see the ballet every day if that's not my thing, but if we have a strong ballet and people who are here enjoy that and support that and it enriches their lives and they become sort of better citizens because of that exposure, then I stand to benefit by just having a better city. You know, mm-hmm. if we if we improve our education system, then everyone is smarter and everyone stands to benefit from things like that. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, I think I think people are coming around to that sort of thing because we talk about transportation all the time, and that's always a big thing with transportation is that you know, oh, I'm not going to ride Amtrak, so why should I be in favor of Amtrak? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, if other people ride Amtrak, then there's less cars on the road. So if you continue to drive, you benefit because you just got people off the road. Yeah. So it's better for everyone. You know, you, you don't have to have that direct one-to-one -one tangible benefit for it to actually benefit your life. Yep. No doubt about it. I think sometimes people are a little slow to see that or to get outside of themselves and see why this yeah. is just good, even if it's not something that, you know, you're going to use or right. even directly impact from. Let's back up a little bit, you know, as you got going with underground, tell me a little bit about kind of how that went, you know, how, how quickly you guys got traction, mm -hmm. you know, what was working, what wasn't working, what surprised you, you know, talk about the, the kind of early days of underground. Well, I went, I went full time with it in 2007 and my wife came on full time in 2010. So we've both been doing it for, you know, 12 to 15 years, kind of right when our, our kids were born, mm -hmm. pretty, pretty much those exact same years. Yeah, I mean, we, we got a lot of support and traction. I, I think we were kind of in the right place at the right time, building an audience. Social media w had a lot of value back then. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know how much it has today. Mm -hmm. In terms of these were places where you could build audiences and you could reach new people and get material and content in front. I hate that word, but mm -hmm. get things in front of people in a meaningful way. A, a lot of that has been slowly pulled back, especially from Facebook and Twitter over mm -hmm. the years to where you post something and like 1% of your audience actually sees it. Like mm -hmm. that, that was not the case in 2008. So that, that was really helpful for kind of growing our reach. Um, you know, I think something that surprised us along the way about 10 years ago, about 2013 is that we decided to do some event production mm -hmm. and kind of take some of the things that we write about on a regular basis and turn those into experiential sort of events for mm -hmm. people. And those have only grown and grown. Mm -hmm. I mean, COVID was a setback on yeah. that, but, We've kind of bounced back from that with events. That, mm -hmm. that, that's been a big surprise. Why don't you talk a little bit about some of those events? Well, one that we've worked with Gravity on mm -hmm. in, the, in the past. Well, I should say Kaufman in general because mm -hmm. some of the other properties is our urban living tour. Yeah. So we write about development all the time. People are very interested in what's being built, you know, new apartments, new condos, different neighborhoods kind of in and around downtown. So we thought like, what, what if we did like a group tour where people can come kind of see these things, kind of turn it into a little bit of a, a party, you know, on a, on a Sunday. So mm -hmm. there's like some brunch kind of theme to it. Mm -hmm. And that's resonated really well. So we're, we're on our 10th year with that event this year and it's been growing and has gone really well. And there's no shortage of new, new housing going up. Right. So it's all, you know, it's only going to get bigger. But our, our biggest event by far is a coffee festival that we started seven years ago. So it's, it's really grown into like a Midwest roaster exhibition mm -hmm. uh, this past september we had 36 different roasters from michigan indiana cincinnati and cleveland mm -hmm. pennsylvania seven thousand guests over two days i mean it's pe people love coffee so that that's been a pretty big surprise because the first year we had like a thousand people there and we're like oh this is great yeah and now we're like aiming for eight thousand this year so yeah yeah, yeah i'm kind of struck by just how you almost seems like have kind of fallen into things yeah, right? yeah like yeah. you don't have an experience in being you know an event nope right planner or conferences or i mean that's like a both of those are big events that yeah. require a lot of work and and uh, expertise and so i'm kind of curious like it seems very all of this seems just like very organic mm -hmm. like it's just it just evolved and unfolded in the way that it has but it's all very successful too so i don't know how how do you see it how do you how would you describe kind of that experience well, I mean, I think a lot of like the entrepreneurial mindset is, you know, 
you try it. If it works, you know, you refine it and do it better. And if it doesn't, you move on and try something else. Because I mean, like you kind of said before, I, I didn't go to school for journalism. So I, I got better at writing just through reading a lot of things and practicing and kind of honing in and seeing what people respond to and what they don't. But, you know, over time we were able to hire journalists, you know, who actually have that background and mm -hmm. do a much better job than me. And same with the events, you know, we first couple of years, we were just kind of doing it by the seat of our pants and seeing, seeing mm -hmm. how it worked until we could hire someone who's an actual event planner to kind mm -hmm. of do, do a lot more of the heavy lifting and that sort of thing. But do you come from an entrepreneurial background? Do you, I mean, your were your parents entrepreneurs? No. Yeah. Just kind of, it's just in the blood, maybe somewhere. Yeah, right? I, it's just who you are or who you became. Well, my, my wife grew up on a farm in Northeast Ohio and that's a very like DIY, you mm -hmm. know, it, it's a small family farm. I mean, medium sized family farm. But if something breaks, you got to fix it. You mm -hmm. know, if something goes wrong, you got to figure out a solution. So mm -hmm. it's it's very, you know, fly by the seat of your pants. But mm -hmm. I mean, straight out of high school, I started working and I, would, I worked for a couple big corporations like the Limited. I worked in tech for the Limited for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I kind of quickly saw that like just punching in and punching out and working for a big company. Like I, I did it because you could make money doing it, but mm -hmm. it wasn't really rewarding. Yeah. And so going back to some of those things that I enjoyed I guess as a as a kid as a teenager like building systems and stuff and finding that oh there could be a path through this i think it was just more, a little more alluring mm -hmm. and in the, the positivity you know that we talked about let's come back to that uh tell me a little bit about why you know it's not really what you see in the media for the most part right mm -hmm. i mean you know there's so much i mean i, I can't watch the news anymore it just seems you know and even you know, a lot of the traditional media is just, my kids still make fun of me because I get the New York Times on Sunday, you know, but even that I kind of flip through pretty quick. You know, it just isn't popular to kind of be positive and to be supportive of yeah. developers and, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're doing, you mm -hmm. know, why? why? Why do you take that approach? <sighs> I think out of the gate with Columbus Underground, you know, again, 20 something years ago, when you looked at local news, and I'm going to pick on like local TV news, and I think this is true, not just Columbus, this is every city, local TV news, before you go to bed, it's crime, car crashes, sports, weather, and you go mm -hmm. to bed. Mm -hmm. How good is it for like the mentality of a city for the last thing you see before you go to bed at night is the 10 p.m. news, and it's death and death and sports and weather. Mm -hmm. Like you, you come across feeling like everything sucks mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. So right out of the gate, we said, you know, let's talk to that new restaurant owner. They just opened a restaurant. Let's talk to that person like building a new, a new asset. Let's talk to that artist with a new exhibition at a gallery, you know, because there are cool things going on in the city. The TV news can cover the car crashes. Like we don't need to do that. Yeah. You know? So if there are issues, you know, that need addressed, we should address them. But if you, if you ambulance chase, if you just go down that rabbit hole of like, the constant negativity. I think we all just feel worse off because of it. I think that's the genesis of where that whole thing kind of started. Mm -hmm. um, but like we we're kind of talking about before we got started, like I think a lot of the problems, not just in Columbus, but in America are with systems. They're mm -hmm. systemic problems that need changed and addressed. Yeah. It's really easy to just beat up on the people within those systems mm -hmm. as like a scapegoat because you want like an easy answer. You want a you want a punching bag. Mm -hmm. So you know it's easy to look at a developer and say, "Oh, your apartments are too expensive. You're you're the problem." Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, maybe the economy is the problem. Maybe inflation is a part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Maybe the fact that in America housing is a commodity and not a right, a human right. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the problem. Mm -hmm. 
but those are just really heady, like big picture things that a lot of individuals can't feel like they have a, an impact on on a day to day basis, mm -hmm. or, you know, or, or it's it's too big of a boulder to push to make a big change like that. And it's much easier just to get on Facebook and right. scream and yell and yeah. you know, pretend that just one individual is the source of all evil. Yeah. 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 It is much easier. I think people don't even realize that, though. It's just like all they can see, you know, they, they, yeah. they just can't see it another way. Yeah. How do you deal with? kind of the haters i mean i generally stopped looking at comments mostly just because i didn't have time to do it i just felt like it was not something i wanted to spend time on yeah we generally got a lot of support and i and i for a while would jump in and and engage with people especially people that you know were unhappy just because you know once there's like a, a person in the room so to speak you know it seems to calm the conversation yeah um, Kind of curious, you know, I'm sure you get some hate here and there, you know, how do you deal with that? I mean, trial and error over the years, you know, yeah. like I used to engage with everyone on everything, you know, for, for quite a while. And you, you kind of start to see the patterns of someone who has a legitimate concern that they want addressed mm -hmm. or some, some actual negative feedback that they want heard versus someone who is just complaining because they want to pick a fight, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you realize like, oh, that person is they're poking at the beehive yeah. because they, they want, they get juice out of that. Yeah. There's, some, there's yeah. something in it for them. Yeah. And, and so we kind of realized like, Oh, that person, they're having a bad day. You know, I kind of mentally took a step back and realized like most of the people in those realms, like they have their own problems. It's not my problem. It's yeah. their problem. Right. I'm, I'm not going to take any kind of ownership over their problem. They're just right. projecting it upon me or right. our business or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, I generally just ignore it and, move on pretty quickly. Well, that's good. What, what do you see as you look at the city mm -hmm. and, you know, it is interesting just to hear you talk about kind of the, you know, the things that you're covering. When you think about transportation, you think about housing, you think about food, the arts, and you've seen, you know, a lot of change. Mm -hmm. I mean, the last decade in Columbus has been filled with change. I, I took a photo as we were, as I walked up here today, mm -hmm. here, here at uh, Gravity in Franklinton, I took a photo while standing kind of out by the trees down there, the, mm -hmm. the plastic trees yeah. and, and looking across at the new development. I took a photo and I, I shared it with some friends in a discord mm -hmm. and someone's like, where is this? I have no frame of reference. Yeah. And I'm like, right. I'm like, it's Franklinton. They're like, right. holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. If you don't, you know, if you don't, yeah. if you're not down here every day, I mean, you see it every day. So it probably feels like it's taken forever. Yeah. But to someone else, they're like that, that changed that much in five years, 10 yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. It's wild. Yeah. So, and so what do you think about the change? You know, honestly, you know, what's, what's going well, what's, what's not. I mean, I think overall it's, it's positive, you know, in, in the grand scope of history, you know, and, and when you look at the alternative to urban development is suburban sprawl. So if we didn't have what was going on in Franklinton now, this would still just be a lot of parking lots and, and old buildings that aren't really being as utilized. And we'd still just be bulldozing cornfields even further and further and further out. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there are concerns with gentrification, displacement, rents rising, you know, all kinds of other things that need to be addressed. And I, I think we're doing an okay job on some things and a lot of things we need to do a lot better job of. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the alternative, I always, I always, say, you know, whenever we post a story about development, someone's like gentrification. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, what's the alternative? Should a poor neighborhood stay poor? Is that, is that an answer? You know, mm -hmm. my wife and I, we live on the, in the King Lincoln district on the near East side, mm -hmm. you know, it's historically an African-American community. 
we bought a house when we were 27 because it was dirt cheap and mm-hmm. we were, you know, poor 20 somethings and it's what we could afford at the time. Mm-hmm. But we kind of see ourselves as like, you know, if, if we want to move in here and be sort of good stewards to this historic property, get to know our neighbors, help our neighbors with things, you know, we all exchange phone numbers and help each other with, with various things and just be a part of this community. Then, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to feel good about that. We were concerned, you know, early on, we're like a young white couple. So we look like the face of gentrification. Mm-hmm. We're, we're breeders. We're having children, you know, mm-hmm. but we're putting our kids in Columbus City Schools. We're involved in neighborhood groups. You know, we, we try and, you know, p- pull weeds from the sidewalks and stuff like that, you know, when, when we can do that sort of stuff. But like, what, what's the alternative? Should we have just moved to Dublin mm-hmm. and not thought about inner city problems and mm-hmm. out of sight, out of mind? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think irks me a lot of times when someone throws out gentrification as like like a Molotov grenade you know like new development happening gentrification right. it's like well but what yeah. like what's your what's your solution what you know po- pointing out a problem is a lot different than coming up with a solution to the problem and so so for yeah. me that, that's where it starts to get really interesting is when people are willing to have like more nuanced conversations of like what, what we should actually be doing individually and as a society to change some of these systemic problems mm-hmm yeah, I think the affordability one is a one that, you know, there's a lot of varying opinions mm. and just being in the business of housing, uh, you know, I, I think the approach is sort of counterintuitive, which would be like more of a basic economic supply and demand thing that, mm-hmm. you know, actually what needs to happen. And we were talking about this as it pertains to Tuttle, like, this is super unpopular, but it is just my belief that, that really what we probably would be most effective, even though you could explain why, you know, it's, it's, you know, not the answer for all kinds of reasons. What would be most effective is if we incentivize the hell out of market rate development and flooded the market with inventory and consequently kept the supply and demand at a point where rents wouldn't be rising as fast as they are. Right. 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 Now that's not going to solve like affordability for all people. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's certainly like what we are, what we're doing by removing the incentives Mm -hmm. is making everything more expensive. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is that all development in all areas across the entire country have been subsidized for the past 100 years. You know, people love to complain about housing subsidies or any tax abatements for a new urban development. But it's like, we built the highways to accommodate sprawl. Mm-hmm. Every, every piece of public infrastructure, whether it's road, you know, uh, telephone lines, sewer, you know, new parks, the new fire departments we have to build further and further out, like that is subsidizing sprawl. We are spreading ourselves super thin and, and people aren't moving further and further out because, you know, 100% like it's their choice. Like we have invested money into making that more possible and more affordable for those people who choose to do that. Right. So recognizing that the entire system, you know, has problems all the way across the board and not just, oh, this, this developer's getting a 15 year tax abatement for this project downtown. Like, yeah. That, that, that's, it's not the whole story. No. And I think, you know, just to stick on that point for a minute, you know, what I, I think we should be doing is incentivizing housing that is also thinking about solving problems beyond just, you know, fattening the bottom line. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, and that's, you know, 
just where we're passionate, you know, is yeah. whenever we get money, it's, it's either to a make the deal work mm -hmm. to begin with, cause it doesn't work or let's spend it on things that are going to be additive. Right, right. Right. Which it comes back to that kind of culture piece, which I think, you know, is something we could do a better job of. We should incentivize, uh, projects that are going to include art and be additive to the culture of the community. Well, and it's great too. I, I think you guys have always done a great job with this and some, some other, some other developers and, and builders, you know, do the same where the contributions in terms of amenities go more to the neighborhood than internal, like having Roosevelt, you know, on broad street open to the public. Mm -hmm. Whereas if this were a property, you know, out in the suburbs, it would be sort of like an internal coffee shop just for the residents, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not really contributing anything to the, the, the non-residents of that specific community. So yeah. I think that sort of stuff's important. But the, the one thing that's gotten me really excited right now is the upcoming changes to the zoning code for the city as a whole mm -hmm. that Aaron, Aaron Prosser is working on yeah. with, with, the, with the city. There's a lot of cities, this is like super nerdy stuff, but a lot of cities around the country, they're starting to eliminate single family housing zoning laws, mm -hmm. antiquated laws. A lot of them are based in racism, yeah. you know, put, put in place, no you know, question. Yeah. 100 years ago. Yeah to really kind of help open those floodgates to mm -hmm. where, you know, if, if I own a piece of property and I want to build a garage with a housing unit on top, you're not allowed, yeah. you know, and if you want to do that, it's, you know, a year's worth of paperwork and, you know, all, all of the money that goes into filing that paperwork mm -hmm. and, and jumping through those hurdles. And if you can just eliminate that and make it so, oh, I could just build this extra unit, then I've just doubled the density of my property and allowing, you know, one more, unit. you don't have to build skyscrapers to right, do that. Right. You know, we can, we can add a lot of missing middle housing if we change the rule, the rule set. Yeah. So I'm excited that we're looking into that as a city right now. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. Let's talk about some other parts of the city. Sure. The, you know, a food I think is one where maybe just in like recent, I don't know, year or two, which is, which is, you know, hard to believe based on you know what we've just come out of with, with covid and everything mm -hmm. but it seems like we are starting to see some new restaurants pop up thinks to me it feels like we could we could do a much better job of that it's not it's not an easy thing to do mm -hmm. but i'm just kind of curious to hear your perspective on on food and kind of where we're at and where we've come from and maybe where we're going someone who likes to eat or as someone who's <laughs> kind of watching the industry and what Changes need to be made. Both. Both. I mean, what do you love? And also, you know, how are we doing as a city, you know, and, and what, what do we need to do better? I think the really cool and interesting thing is that the food options have grown more diverse across a wider variety of neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, 50 years ago, like if you wanted, yeah, you know, to go out to eat, you know, you went downtown, you went, you know, somewhere along High Street, mm -hmm. you know, there were a couple little options within the suburbs. And the focus, I don't think, is, is quite as concentrated. You know, there are interesting places to find, not just like Franklinton or Old Town East or Marion Village, you know, the things that are like a little bit further off the beaten path, but the amount of amazing ethnic food that people are mm -hmm. willing to go out and try in places like Somali restaurants, like on the Northeast side, mm -hmm. like along Morse Road or Cleveland Avenue, um, you know, all the food trucks, you know, obviously all the taco trucks mm -hmm. with the Latino community out on the West side. I think more and more people are willing to go out of their comfort zone and try some of those things mm -hmm. and, and then bring them back into the, the different neighborhoods. So I think that's really uh, one thing that's, that's changed a lot over the past, you know, five to 10 years. Yeah. I think one of the, the common complaints that you hear is people say, Oh, we're too like 
Cameron Mitchell heavy, <laughs> you know? And, you know, I'm wondering if there's, if there's, you know, if Cameron's building an ecosystem that eventually, mm-hmm. you know, has people breaking out and doing their own things yeah. or, or what does it take for us to see more quality operators yeah. with, you know, it's, it's a tough business, sure. right? So you not only why, why Cameron's been so successful is because they know how to make you know, good food, but they also really understand the business side of things. Yeah. And, and that and seems to be tough. They, they get all the details, right. Yeah. You know, from, from start to finish. And I, I've always heard that they take really, really, really good care of their people. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with Cameron Mitchell stuff. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, it, it is what it is. And I, I think in a big city, you know, you're going to have from top to bottom, you know, you need the little, the little dive bars and the little the food carts on the side of the road and you need the fine dining high-end sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. I mean like Chapman's has been knocking it out of the park, yeah. you know, the past couple of years they, oh, yeah. they got written up. What was it? New York times. I didn't see that, but I know like a year ago they were named like one of the top 50 new restaurants in America. Yeah. And like, it's hard to get reservations there now, it's, like on a Saturday. It's like annoyingly impossible. <laughs> it's kind of one of the things that it's, it's bittersweet. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. Well, cool. That Columbus has got some great new restaurants. Yeah, now, and you can't get into them anymore. My 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 cousin came to town a couple of weeks ago, and him and his wife, and we were going to go out to eat, and it was re- relatively, you know, like three days' notice. But I looked at Chapman's, and it said the first available table for four was like eight forty-five p.m. Oh, yeah, that's too late to eat. Yeah. So I looked at Commune, same thing. Yeah. We ended up going to Understory, the Commons at Understory, yeah. up there because he didn't need a reservation, but. Yeah. And we had a great time, you know, yeah. but, but it's nice that there are that many different options. Cause he was like, we haven't been to Columbus in a year. What's new? Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, everything, any, Everything's- any gems that, you know, diamonds in the rough that, that maybe people don't know as much about that you love. <sighs> well, it's, I mean, it's not a food thing, but I kind of mentioned it a little bit in passing that the attic on mm-hmm. the near East side mm-hmm. is like my new favorite spot. Yeah. It's a 10 minute walk from our house. It's yeah. a comedy club. Yeah. It's above the Mikey's late night slice there. Yeah. Great, like local comedians, yeah. fun vibes. You know, I think they're really kind of building something cool there. Yeah, which is great. And and it's not far. You know, Gamut is over there, which is a great spot. The Oracle's a, a fun spot, a couple blocks away. Yeah. So I like uh, some of those little off the beaten path kind of things. We're going out to Fire next week, which we've been to. It's the new restaurant inside the Hilton. Yeah, been yet. It's really impressive. There, if you go, there's menu item just called the tomato okay it's like nine bucks it's like a, a shareable it's like a small plate or something yeah but i don't even know what they do like they raise this tomato and then they finish it on they have this like giant fire oven and they they finish it on that with like yeah. a honey glaze and goat cheese caramelized onions all right and you're like wow this is this is the best tomato i've ever had in my entire <laughs> life yeah okay yeah um what else columbus you know wh- where do you see us kind of doing well and where do you think we really need to focus you know you talked a little bit about the amtrak transportation Mm -hmm. you know the arts where do you see columbus really you know finding maybe some traction and and where we need to lean in a little bit more i mean i think it's a combination of like big picture infrastructure updates with things like the linkus program where we're trying to install you know bus rapid transit lines around the city to help like build density corridors. I, I think those sort of like top down infrastructure updates are really important. Rapid five is another one that's mm-hmm. like, I'm really excited about that. The way that we're actually going to take care of our waterways and improve yeah. upon, you know, those existing natural resources in a very like equitable way too, you know, yeah. because the, those waterways touch like every community all over, yeah. all over the region. I had Amy Acton on the podcast. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's a amazing initiative. I really hope that uh, we're able to 
see that one through. Yeah. But, but on the, from the grassroots side, I think what's most important is for the city to find ways to fund and support idea generation, whether it's, you know, pop up public art or like little, little event sorts of things, or, you know, downtown retail development ways to help that and then kind of step back and get out of the way and kind of embrace the controlled chaos of that. Yeah. I think a lot of times we come up with plans that are very structured and rigid and, you know, we need, we need to check these boxes to consider it a success. Mm -hmm. And I think being able to say, you know, we, we want to see things happen. Like let's, let's sprinkle the dust on it to help. And then just kind of step back and like, let people do their own thing, both for downtown and, and other neighborhoods. I think that's going to be super important. Mm -hmm. A big thing when, when Linkus was announced, I wrote an opinion piece, and this is probably like two or three years ago, was that we need to update the infrastructure. You know, if, if we build a, a mass transit line down Main Street and we start, uh, or, or, or Bethel Road, I think that was one of the first corridors, it was kind of going up to the, the northwest side. Mm -hmm. um, the, the form of those areas, you know, those old like 1970 strip malls, like they're not dense. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're set back behind parking lots. It would make more sense to build up to the street, build taller, all that sort of thing. But if you demolish all those, you lose the little Korean grocery store. You, right. you lose the, the African, you know, hair salon. You right. lose like all these things that those people are there because the rent's cheap. Right. You know, the, the building might be a little rough around the edges, but that's where they, they can, you know, have their, their, their yeah. lives. And if we replace that with a five-story building that has a Chipotle on the ground floor, then culture was lost. Right. You know. Right. So we have to be really cognizant of like, how do we, how do we make sure that everybody is able to take part in that like rising tide yeah 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 it's it, there's not an easy solution for mm -hmm. it but you're right i mean you do really need to think about that and have to decide you know does each have its own place and mm -hmm. maybe we don't have to you know have everything be easily accessible or right chipotle eyes i don't know what you would say <laughs> right chipotle eyesing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah right okay so tell me a little bit about kind of underground and and you know the the media world has changed mm -hmm. i mean you talked about social media and how that's changed yeah you know i know you guys have leaned into the event side of things mm -hmm. but where do you see underground going from here you know how as things are changing as much as they are yeah i mean the, the recovery from covid has been hard you know to be honest about it you know two two-thirds of our revenue comes from advertising you know and and when covid hit every business had to shut down. And mm -hmm. so every small and medium sized business and nonprofit that was working with us said, you know, pause all ads, mm -hmm. you know? And so that, that was a big hit. So we've been kind of building that back, you know, trying to come back, you know, better and stronger from all of that. The national landscape has changed so much as well. You know, there's been, I think there's, we're headed towards some sort of reckoning mm. where we're going to go back to some sort of Teddy Roosevelt level of trust busting. Because every industry, whether it's food, travel, media, has become so consolidated. There's so few players. Everything is just consolidated into a handful of companies that run everything in every industry. Uh, to the point where it's it's just destroying opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's anti-competitive. It's it's anti-capitalist. Uh, you can't start a new media business today. Mm -hmm. Like you know, a, a lot of what we see springing up around the country are nonprofit initiatives which can float with nonprofit dollars, but if they're not actually able to, you know, you, you can hire the best journalists in the world to write an article, but if you can't reach anyone, then what's the point, mm -hmm. you know? So it's really hard for media and for everything right now, just because of like issues that arise from mass consolidation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, Gannett, 
that owns the dispatch mm -hmm. and, and, you know, a hundred other newspapers around the country, they've been laying people off, yeah. you know, every month there's more layoffs, right? which is bad for the community. You know, mm -hmm. you end up with a less informed community. So it's, mm -hmm. the deck is stacked against us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, and I don't think a lot of people are fully aware of like the impact of this sort of stuff, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, I agree with so you. It's, it's tough. It's an uphill battle. And yeah. it, it requires a lot of like one-on-one -on -one interactions and really like retraining people. Because we, we have friends that I feel like, you know, should be aware of these kinds of things. And we say like, oh, did, did you see that article? And they're like, oh, I follow you on Facebook. I didn't see the update. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, you're not going to get the update on Facebook. You need yeah. to get it from email or you need to go to our website or you right. need like social media isn't going to show you anything anymore. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 It is an interesting thing because you're right, you know, so much is changing and the consolidation of everything. I mean, we even feel it in our business. It's like yeah. at our size, it feels hard to continue to do what we do because it's so competitive, you know, for, yeah. you know, construction cost and land and mm -hmm. entitlements and, you know, bank banking and investors. I mean, it's just, it's got, you really have to, scale yeah or else you know it's gonna be hard right and in media especially with just kind of the attention economy and the clickbait and you know the immediate you know need to scroll mm -hmm. you know people might not want to go to a website yeah you know? yeah i think everyone developed a lot of bad habits you know in the way that like Facebook trained them to get into those bad habits, like yeah. the, the endless scrolling, the fact that like, you know, only a clickbait headline is going to actually get someone to click. Yeah. So if we want people to write, to read our articles, we have to like write in that style to get them to take that step. And it's, it's just this like self-fulfilling, you know, race to the bottom, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it takes some real effort to break out of that. And I'm always encouraged when I see people that are doing things like that. We talk a lot about, you know, people's attention span, but we'll write a long article and we'll see, you know, the time, the average time spent on that article is like seven minutes. Mm -hmm. And we know that, oh, people are reading the entire thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of the stuff that I consume are in the form of like long form, you know, explainer journalism, mm -hmm. like a, a 40 minute video on zoning, mm -hmm. you know, that's done in like an interesting and engaging way with infographics and, you know, some mm -hmm. jokes in there and some mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, and then you see that that video on YouTube got like a million views and it's like, okay, people actually want, yeah. they, they want to know more if right. you're willing to get it in a format that like resonates with them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, hence podcasts, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's really what you guys have done. You know, I, I hate to hear the impact that COVID's had and, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of how the business is changing, the consolidation, all of that, and how that, you know, might impact what you're doing. Yeah. Because I think you really have found one of the main reasons for your success was that you were able to write things in a way that people wanted to consume mm -hmm. and it is very positive and it's very informative and it's touching on the things that people are interested in not just crime and weather and sports yeah. right and yeah. so i hope that you guys can continue to innovate around that yeah and you know what use that kind of creative juice that got you into it in the first place yeah. to adapt to how things are are changing mm -hmm. and continue to bring that voice because it, it's it's really important to you know have content to consume that is informative and enjoyable yeah yeah i mean we're still a small team and scrappy and you yeah. know we, we pivoted as much as we needed to pivot during the pandemic 
but yeah, we're also like in our forties now. So it's yeah. sort of like, can we just kind of go back to normal? Can we like <laughs> take a breath and not yeah. think about like, you know, what's, what's next or what's new or right, you know, right. that sort of thing too. But right. No, I mean, we, we still love what we do and we have a great team and, and yeah. everyone, you know, stays pretty energized. The fact that Columbus is growing, there's always new things to write about. There's yeah. always new things to try, new things right. to do. So right. yeah, we, we stay pretty optimistic most days. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, Walker, thanks for taking some time and yeah. You know, just a fan. Love what you guys are doing, and I really Thanks. am. I I enjoy it. I consume. You know, I still love to, you know, find, you know, what you're putting out and and digging in. And I know so many people in Columbus do too. And I, you know, honestly, you know, I think it's it's one of these pieces of a puzzle mm-hmm. that makes the experience of being in a community, you know, enhanced, enjoyable. Mm-hmm. You know, to have a place to consume information about where you live and do it in a way that's, you know, relatable is, is really, it's, it's not a small thing. So well, yeah, thanks. Super appreciative. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me in today. Yeah. Great. All right. Thanks. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the gravity podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to learn more about the entire gravity project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at The Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak. 